Well, welcome to Table Church, everyone. Uh, I'm Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, it's my privilege to be here with you all today. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us this morning. You know, we all do things that we regret. Some of us do things that we regret perhaps more often than others, but it's something that happens to all of us. We do things that we regret at one time or another. I went online, I found a few pictures that showed us some moments in people's lives that they probably later regretted. I just want to show you a few of them here. Uh, here's one. Uh, this guy dumped the hot charcoals from his grill into his garbage can while they were still hot. And I'm sure he regretted that afterwards. Uh, the next one is actually pretty pertinent to me. You don't let your dog outside right after you mow the grass on a wet day. It's pertinent to me because we just got a new puppy in our house, and so I'll tuck this one away. Uh, and then here we've got somebody who, you know, I'm not sure what he was thinking, but I'm pretty sure he regretted it afterwards as well. He's probably trying to be cool for his kids, and so you can't fault him for that. Um, next, what do we have? Okay, these people, they tried to bake a pizza on the cutting tray. Um, and the pizza, ironically, looks pretty good. A lot of other stuff going on that's not great, but the pizza itself turned out okay. And then finally, this one is also appropriate for me because uh, we just got a Roomba and a new puppy. You don't leave your unhouse trained puppy in the house with the Roomba going because if they poo, then the Roomba's going to get after it and you're going to have a real mess on your hands. Um, so just tuck those away for later in life. Things that you might think are a good idea at the time that you later regret. Now, as a pastor, my job is to help you hopefully get to the end of your life and to be able to look back on it and say, you know what? As a whole, I think I did that right. More or less, I think that that's the way it needed to be. That I made good choices, that I lived this life well. In other words, my job is to help you die well. As morbidly as that sounds, um, hope, I think that's something we'd all like, right? So hopefully the things that we talk about here at Table Church are just little seeds that are being planted into your life that you can incorporate and then it kind of comes together as a whole, and someday you'll, we'll all get to the end of our lives, and hopefully we have the opportunity to reflect on it at that, at that time and be able to say, you know what, I did that well. Not that we won't have any regrets. We all have some sort of regrets. I mean, in fact, that's part of what builds wisdom into us, is doing things that we know we shouldn't have done. And so you can't avoid that. But hopefully the aggregate of it all together will equal something that we don't regret. It's not something that can be done with just one decision. When, you know, where you go to school or who you marry or what job you take. All, those stuff, all that stuff's important, but none of it's going to constitute a life as a whole. And similarly, our culture today, the mantra is, you know, you only live once. Like, it's almost as though uh, living well is simply a matter of jumping from one exciting and thrilling experience to another. But that's also not enough. Because I don't care how many mountains you climb or how many planes you jump out of, there's always going to be more time spent in between than there is time spent doing the actual thing. You stand in line more for more time than it takes to actually make the purchase. You know what I'm saying? That's just how life is. So how do we live a life that we won't regret? We must learn to see the remarkable where no one else sees it. We must learn to see the remarkable in the ordinary. And that's one of the things that today's passage is going to help us see. This passage actually takes place early on Easter Sunday morning. Jesus had just risen from the dead, but very few people know it yet. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 24, that'd be awesome. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and the ushers will hand you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one that we're handing you today. We just want you to have a copy of the Bible. But 
Open with me to Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to just kind of walk through this passage as we go. So we're not going to read it all at once here today, but we're going to take it bit by bit. We're going to start in Luke 24, verse 13 and 14. Let's read those first. It says this, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, I love how this story um, happens when these two disciples are in between destinations. They're going from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles. So they got about a seven-mile walk here, so that's going to take some time. And there's nothing remarkable about this. There's nothing remarkable about, about Emmaus. They were just kind of sauntering slowly along, lost in their grief, not really looking forward to getting home and having to get up the next morning and do the chores. But that's where they were right now. I mean, their hopes and their dreams had been smashed. They thought that things were going to be different, but then Jesus was killed, and now they got to go home. Probably faced some neighbors and some family members who are going to give them a little ridicule. What were you doing? What did you think going off with this Jesus guy? Get back to work. And they're going to have to face that humiliation, most likely. Not to mention the grief and the loss that they're feeling personally. You know that feeling of making the long drive home after vacation on Sunday night? You know you got to get up and go to work on Monday. It's the same thing, only times like a thousand. That's what they were feeling. Going on in verse 15 through 17, it says this. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? All right, so, I'm sorry, they stood still, their faces downcast, it says, end of verse 17. So Jesus walks up and joins them. They don't know it's him. And when Jesus asks them what they're talking about, like they're so sad, they stop walking and just look down like this. Like, they, they can't even keep going. They're so depressed about this. But there's a lesson for us in the passage already. Listen, uh, sometimes you're so busy staring at the ground, you don't look up to see Jesus in your midst. Like, like, sometimes you're so lost in all of the horrible things that are going on that you don't realize that Jesus is standing there in it with you. And that's what they don't realize yet. They're just lost in all the stuff that they're thinking about, all the, the loss and the sadness. They don't realize who's with them in that very moment. We're so blinded by what has happened that we totally miss the fact that Jesus is present in those moments too. Now verses 18, we'll jump all the way, we'll go from 18 all the way to 24. It says, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So the irony builds in this passage. Uh, Cleopas kind of ridicules Jesus for not knowing what's going on. Like, you know, have you not heard about everything that's been going on? You can imagine that this crucifixion of Jesus was probably dinner conversation for every Jewish household. I mean, this is creating quite a stir in town. Have you really not heard what's been going on, he says? And he proceeds to explain everything that had happened. 
And it ends on a sad note. Some of their women said he was alive. They went to check it out, but they didn't, we didn't see Jesus, he said. And so you'll notice something here. Luke has already mentioned the disciples' sense of sight two times in this passage. First, when Jesus walks up next to them and says they didn't recognize him. And now, at the end of this passage we just read, they went to the tomb, but it says they did not see Jesus. So two times Luke has shown us, or has brought up the sense of sight. Both times they do not see what they're supposed to. And of course, it's ironic because they're literally looking at Jesus as they say this. And Luke's point here is this. There is a difference between seeing and understanding. There's a difference between seeing and understanding. Look, tons of Christians can rattle off scripture. I mean, so many of us kind of like Cleopas in the story, like just explaining it all to Jesus. Have you not heard? Let me just tell you what's going on. And, and sometimes we do this from like a feeling of superiority. How, how can you be so ignorant? Let me tell you what the Bible says. You know, it's possible to be in that situation to see, but not understand. And that's where these disciples were in this moment. They know a lot, but they understand little. Jesus finally takes over the conversation in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, they still don't know it's Jesus, keep in mind. But here, the stranger with them suddenly starts explaining the scriptures, helping them see that the Messiah had to suffer. Now, I do want to let you know the word fool in here. You've, how foolish are you? Whatever he says, um, what is it? How foolish you are. It's not like a deep insult like we often think of it. It's more like, um, there's a different word in the Greek that would be like an insulting fool. But this particular version of the word, or this particular word, it's more like if you imagine a teacher so exasperated uh, with her students. You goofballs, like when are you ever going to get this? You know, that kind of thing. Kind of a naivety is what it's communicating. But notice, even after Jesus explains the scriptures to them, they still don't recognize him. They now have the head knowledge, but they lack the experience of actually recognizing Jesus. And so now go on to verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, catch that, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. By the way, we're wrapping up a series today called The Table. Where we're digging into exactly what it means and why God has called us to be a church called Table Church. And we'll notice something about this table here in a second. And that's this, the moment that Jesus sits at the table and breaks the bread, their eyes were suddenly opened. There's so much significance for us here. This needs to be Table Church's theme verse. I'll read it one more time. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. This is the third time that Luke mentions the sense of sight. You think the number three has any significance, particularly in a passage taking place on Easter Sunday? Something's going down right here, right? In other words, they went from seeing to understanding. But look, it didn't happen in a church service. It didn't happen in a sermon. It didn't happen in a classroom. It happened at a table. 
The table is the most ordinary thing in our lives. You don't have to go to seminary to have a table. And it's those ordinary spaces seated at the table in some off-the-map little village that we haven't even excavated yet. We don't even know exactly where it might have been. That Jesus, it's there that Jesus explodes into our lives. When we least expect him, when we're at our lowest moment, boom, our eyes are opened and we see him and he had been there all along and we didn't even know it. It's about coming to realize this. A life you won't regret is a life that sees the extraordinary in the ordinary. If you want to get to the end of your life and look back and say, yeah, I did that right. It's learning to see God in the middle, in the middle of Jerusalem and Emmaus. On the way to Emmaus, those off the beaten path, those places that we don't expect God to be. It's about coming to realize that if you want to experience God, then you got to stop looking up and start looking down. We always look up to the mountaintop for God to be there. But God dwells richly in those ordinary daily grind kind of moments. We just have to learn to understand to have eyes to see it. I love the last verse of our passage. After Jesus disappears, the disciples rush off to tell the others what they'd seen. Verse 35, Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I like the NASB translation. Here's, what, here's how it says. A subtle but crucial difference. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them. Here it is. In the breaking of the bread. In other words, it's not just that Jesus broke some bread. There's something about that action that revealed Jesus to them. It wasn't just when Jesus broke the bread that they recognized him. He was recognized in the breaking of the bread. Look, the point of breaking bread is what? So you can give it to others. So you can share it. Jesus was imparting something of himself in that moment. To those disciples. And so we encounter Jesus when we share our lives around a table. Luke's point is that there's something sacramental, supernatural, that happens at the table. The moment we gather at table fellowship with people in the name of Jesus, something, something happens. And that's why Christians now for 2,000 years, we've been coming to the table because we expect God to be present there in a way that he's not present elsewhere. We call it communion. It's because we believe that Jesus appears to us in the ordinary events of our lives. This means this. It means we can all have an Emmaus Road experience. We can all learn to see Jesus in the ordinary events of our lives. The in-betweens. You don't have to climb the mountain necessarily. I mean, sometimes God meets us. Sometimes it's Mount Sinai, right? Sometimes we're up there and God is with us and it's awesome. But more often than not, we're sauntering home from Jerusalem, sad and disappointed and wondering what we've gotten ourselves into when Jesus explodes into our lives when we least expected it. Emmaus is what we might call flyover country. It's nowhere that anybody ever wanted to go and yet that's where Jesus appears. I want to tell you about my most recent Emmaus Road experience. When you plant a new church, they always tell you, hey, get ready because nothing's going to go according to plan. 
And every church planner probably thinks to themselves, well, I'll be the exception. And that was probably true of me as well. We started our church with a really incredible story. We had 20 adults plus kids, that, so 30-some people who moved from Sioux Falls to Des Moines to start a new church. We felt called. We felt like God was moving, and, and certainly he was. And um, once we got to Des Moines, another 15 or 20 people were added. We had a really strong launch team. People who had uprooted their lives, their families, sold their houses, switched jobs, looked for new jobs in order to get a new church started in a new city. It's an incredible sacrifice. And God honored it. And so we're doing really vital work in the city as a team. But over the course of 2020, we watched as halfly rough, uh, roughly half of that group left Table Church. I'm not going to get into the reasons why. Everyone had their own reasons. But as you all know, the events in our country and our world have a way of revealing, I kind of put it this way, 2020 had a way of revealing what kind of jelly donut we are on the inside. You know what I mean? Like what kind of filling there is on the inside. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Things got so polarizing in our culture around questions of masking and online worship and racial reconciliation that leaders of churches and other things Perhaps we were at one point able to kind of float generically above the questions of our day. We're no longer able to do that. Because when the world is in chaos around you, to act like it's fine is to say something. To be silent is to say something. And so no leader was given the opportunity, really, to just ignore what was happening outside the walls of the church. It came, and it found us all. And many of you know what I'm talking about. It had a way of... You know, people who have worshipped together, baptized each other, discipled each other, prayed for each other, suddenly looked at each other and said, oh, you're that kind of jelly donut. I didn't know that. I'm not sure I can worship with you. And it's not just churches, it's families and friendships and all these things. Somehow, something's happened where people now, they're saying, oh, I'm this kind of jelly donut, you're that kind of jelly donut. Well, we we don't mix. And I know some of your stories have been kind of painful in that regard. And so people left, churches, families, friendships, you know, it's always tough. 2020 revealed what kind of donuts we all were, and Table Church hasn't been immune to that by any means. And so to be honest with you, I spent a lot of 2021 trying to bounce back from that. Like, man, that's a lot of loss, you know? And I got a lot of pastor friends who, who went the same thing. People, they went on sabbatical for a couple months or something. Like, just to recover from all of that, it was just difficult. And I often felt like I was walking the road to Emmaus. You can imagine those two disciples plodding along, lamenting their loss, kind of how I looked a lot of times. At times I would stand there with my face downcast like they did when Jesus first asked them what was going on. You know, at other times I'd rally, I'd get fresh inspiration, be like, all right, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're good, right? But most of the time was spent just thinking about what could have been. I was on Emmaus Road. But I can tell you the moment it ended. I can tell you the moment where Jesus broke the bread at the table. It was last month. Today's still January, right? It's the 30th. Last month, Sunday, December 12th. That was the day of our Christmas open house at the ministry center. And at that event, I was able to sit at a table and make Christmas ornaments with some of you. And we laughed and we talked about silly things. And we had a great time. And then we sat around tables and we ate chili and Kids were running around with crazy balloon hats on and playing board games. And we were having fun. And then some of you stayed late because you were having so much fun. And then the staff stayed even later and cleaned up. 
And by the time it was over, I felt like my Grinch heart had grown three sizes in my chest, you know? And it's like Jesus appeared to me that night and said, Phil, I've had this all along. Don't you see what an incredible congregation this is? Why are you so sad about the things that you've lost or what could have been when you should be so thrilled with what's right in front of you? And it occurs to me that if I could handcraft a church for my kids to grow up in, it would look an awful lot like this one. If I could handcraft a church, if I wasn't a pastor, for me to attend, I would want to go to a church like this one. Hey, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about pastors. Sometimes we don't always want to be around the people in our congregation. Like there's just sometimes those people, you know what I mean? That you don't really, like you got to be nice to them, you got to love them, all that stuff. But like if you're just going to hang out and watch the game, you wouldn't pick them to be there. Okay, I'm sorry, is this bad? Should I not be saying this? It's true though. But listen, there's nobody like that at Table Church. Like, I would watch the Hawkeyes with any one of you. <laughs> I would hang out with any single one of you. I, I, I genuinely mean that. I, this is an amazing congregation. It's amazing what God has done here. And the stories that you all have when you come and for everyone for their own different reason, but the things that God is doing in your life. And I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of the highs and the lows. That's the privilege of being a pastor. For whatever reason, pastors are blessed with being able to be in those sacramental, sacred moments of life. The passings of loved ones, the births of children, the scary surgeries, the cancer diagnoses, like all of those things. And it's a high and holy honor to be able to do that. It's like, man, God reminded me of that because we were sitting at a table eating chili and all of that came to me. That was when my Emmaus road ended. Listen, the kind of life you won't regret is found at a table. The ordinary, out-of-the-way moments are drenched with Jesus. Let us pray to have eyes to see it. And so I think this is our task as we kind of close this series It's this, always have an open seat at your table, table church. Always have an open seat at your table. I mean that literally and metaphorically. Have an open seat at your actual table. Be inviting people in to have a meal with you because there's something about that action that matters. I mean it metaphorically as well. In your life, your circle of people, like who are you bringing in? Who are you asking God to reveal what God is doing in their lives that you might be able to speak into it, that you might be able to share your faith with them? Expand your borders of hospitality, Table Church. Because when we do that, something incredible happens. When we have another seat at our table, something amazing happens. In fact, we have time for one more insight from our text today. Luke 24, 30 and 31. You've heard me read. I'm going to read it again. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That phrase, their eyes were opened, that echoes another moment in the Bible. In fact, it's another meal in Scripture. Happens to be the very first meal in the Bible. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and sin entered the world. We read about it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. When Adam and Eve's eyes were opened in that moment, they saw their nakedness, and they were ashamed. God's perfect creation had now just gotten a crack in it. It had been broken. 
But when the two disciples' eyes were opened at Emmaus, when Jesus broke the bread, it was the moment where God's good creation was being put back together again. Listen to this. The meal in Emmaus announces the undoing of the meal in Eden. It announces the beginning of God's new creation. It announces the undoing of all sin and destruction. It announces Christ's victory over the forces of death. We could say it like this. New creation begins at the table. Don't underestimate the power of ministry at your own table. And so as we close out this series, friends, I just want to be clear about what kind of donut we are at Table Church. We're a church that will work to welcome the stranger, that will always have another seat. There will always be room for more. Because that's how God's kingdom is. That means we're a church that will fight against racial divides, a church that will not rest until new creation comes, a church that will fight to look like the kingdom does in Revelation 7, when every tribe and tongue and nation is gathered around the throne in worship. We will work to see Des Moines look a little bit more like heaven. We're a church that takes scripture seriously, but not like it's a textbook, but rather that it's a living active word from God that we are to live out every day. It compels us to love others well. We are a church that doesn't simply want to preach the gospel. We want to live the gospel. We're a church that's more concerned with those who are lost and hurting and poor than we are with our own preferences and rights. We're a church that wants to see new creation come and believes that it begins by making room at our table for everyone. And so we're going to do that today through communion. Um, We have the elements down front here. And I hope that as you come, it'll be filled with a little bit more meaning than perhaps it was four weeks ago before we started this series as we've walked through this series of the table. Um, The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and once again, he broke it. Because what does breaking the bread mean? Oh, it means that you're sharing it with people. He broke, he said, this is my body. He's giving us his body. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you. Whenever you drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so as you come today for communion, remember that Jesus is found in these ordinary places, that God explodes into our lives at the table, and that God has selected the table as the place where we are to come and experience him in a real way, in a way that we don't experience him anywhere else. Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years. It binds us together with our church family, corporate, universal church family. And Christians throughout the centuries have testified to an experience that happens here. So once again, just like I asked you earlier, how are your expectations when you come in here on a Sunday morning? Because if you come ready, Jesus will meet you here. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask that as we come to the table, just as the disciples' eyes were opened in that moment, that you'd open ours to see you. Many of us here, myself included, Lord, we know lots. We have lots of Bible in our, in our heads and things like that. But that doesn't mean we understand. And so, Lord, give us understanding, I ask. The on, only the kind of understanding that can explode into our lives at the table. And as we go from here, may we continually learn to see and discern your presence and your work in those ordinary in-between spaces on the way to Emmaus, I pray. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. So these cups have the bread and the juice in them. You just peel it off, take the bread, peel the other side, take the 
the juice and then you can just drop it in the bucket, or I'm sorry, in the uh, garbage can. You can put your offering in the buckets later. Put the trash in the garbage can when you're done. Feel free to come down at any point in the song that you feel ready. Thanks so much for coming today.